This is day 237 of our daily Bible reading. We will begin the book of Revelation today, chapters 1 through 4. Lord God, as we enter into the book of Revelation, we know, Lord, that there are many things that are beyond our imagination here. So many mysteries, so many things that we're not sure about. Lord, you have promised that you would bless us if we read it, but you've also shown us that there is going to be hope and great joy. There will be pain at first, but then, Lord, you will usher in a new age where we will be able to enjoy you forever. We look forward to that day, Lord, and we hope it comes soon. As we enter into the Word today, please open our hearts and our minds to understand it just a little bit better, in such a way that it impacts our anticipation of you. May it put some urgency in our steps and some attention to your gospel. Please bless the reading of this word in Jesus' name. Amen. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his chest 
with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you, and will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, The first and the last, who was dead and has come to life, says this, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, and you will have tribulation for ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, 
the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, says this, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent, or else I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, The Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds, and your love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. 
So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it any more. And I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him, 
and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf, and the third creature had a face like that of a man, and the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. At last, at long last, the year is coming to an end, and we're actually ahead of schedule. We started this journey on June 1st, 2022, and at the time of this recording, it is the beginning of May 2023. We are almost there. We have one more book of the Bible to go, and we have completed it. It is bittersweet. It's hard to fully describe how I feel because I feel many things all at once. I'm overjoyed to be in Revelation, but at the same time, I'm kind of sad, because we're almost done. I know that we're going to be reading this book again soon, 
but I am overwhelmed at the same time with the thought that we saw the beginning of all things, and we've seen the course of human history up until this point, and now we are seeing what is going to happen in the future. We're going to see what will happen for the rest of eternity. We saw the beginning of everything, and now we are going to see the end of everything. And it is going to be glorious what we're going to encounter. Those who are of God, we have such wonderful things waiting for us. And I fear so greatly for those who do not know God. They don't understand what they're doing, and they don't understand what's waiting for them at the end. It's nothing pleasant. It's nothing to look forward to. They have no hope. They're going to be in the hands of an angry God. And we are going to be comforted forever in his glory. Such a stark contrast. And that really convicts me as to the urgency and seriousness of sharing the gospel. And I hope it does for you too. I am not an expert in Revelation. I am not very well versed in eschatology. That is not my calling. That is not my gift. And perhaps with time I will develop that and have a better understanding of this. So I'm telling you right now that my ability to explain some of this will be limited. I'm not going to try and guess what things are unless I feel it's appropriate. But I'm going to let the Bible speak for itself for this time. If there's something that is a direct application to what we need to be doing, I will absolutely talk about that. But I'm not going to paint a false picture of something that is theoretical. Because I don't want you to believe me over the Word of God, and I'm leading you astray. I don't want to be that. So I'd rather stay out of it and let God be the teacher, which he always has been. But let me tell you what we do know. This book was written by John. The Apostle John, the one that wrote the Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. This is the same John. He is the only apostle that we know of that did not die as a martyr. Tradition teaches that he died an old man in somewhere like Ephesus. But he was in his 90s when he died, according to the records that we have. As for when this was actually written, this took place after the burning of Rome by Emperor Nero in 64 AD. Emperor Nero is famous in the history books as being a hater of Christianity. And so he did some pretty nasty things to Rome in that time period. But this takes place well after that. This takes place at least 10 to 15 years, maybe even 20 years after that. So, most scholars agree on a timeline between 81 and 96 AD when this takes place. So yes, John is a very old man, and he's stuck in a place called Patmos, which is a prison island. So, here he is shown the revelation of Jesus Christ in all its glory. And praise God that he was able to write it down for us. This book is the Apocalypse, and so we will be reading. So let's begin, and let's see what God has for us today. 
So it begins by showing that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and this is through John. And it says in verse 3 that those who read this book and hear the words and heed them are blessed, because this says the time is near. This was written almost 2,000 years ago, and it doesn't seem like it's near, but it is. Again, God's concept of time and space is much different from ours. To him, it's a moment. He writes this letter to seven churches, and you're going to see the number seven appear a lot. Revelation is a very symbolic book with a lot of imagery, a lot of metaphors, a lot of things that are very difficult to understand. So it's very important that we don't go into the book of Revelation trying to take everything literally, because some of it is literal, but some of it is symbolic. And sometimes it's hard to tell which one it should be in that situation. So that's why I'm not going to try and analyze the book of Revelation, because there are people far more intelligent and far wiser than me who have already done that and have endeavored to explain the book as much as possible. I'm not that person. I'm not going to pretend to be. But he wrote this to seven churches, and they are specifically named here. So he gives his salutation to these seven churches, and he gives credibility as to why he's writing this and who he's writing about. And he has some very powerful language for how he describes what's going on, as well as how Jesus Christ explains himself. He is the Alpha, and he is the Omega. Alpha being the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega being the final letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the Word of God. He is the first word. He is the last word. Who was, and who is, and who is to come. The Almighty. He is eternal. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. Omnipresent. He is God. And so, Christ is affirming his deity at the very beginning. It said that while he was on the island of Patmos, that he was in the Spirit. Now, this may be an attitude of prayer, um, but it seems to be more like he had an out-of-body experience, where he separated from his body briefly, and his spirit was shown all these wonderful things in a spiritual world, almost like a dreamlike state. So what's the very first thing he sees? He sees seven golden lampstands, and he sees a very striking image of Jesus Christ. And is it symbolic, or is it literal, as how he's described? His hair like wool, white as snow, eyes of fire, feet of burnished bronze, his voice of many waters, he has stars in his hand, a sword comes out of his mouth. Is that literal or is that metaphorical? Is that symbolic in some way? It's deeply symbolic. And so we need to not take that so literally, okay? Just going into it. This is the beginning of many such passages that are heavily symbolic. So naturally, you see such wonderful things. What's going to be your immediate reaction? You fall to the ground like you're dead. You have no power whatsoever. It reminds me of how it was described in Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God. What did he say? Alas, I am undone, 
I am ruined. I am deconstructed. I immediately see how far short I fall of his glory. And so he fell as if he's dead. But Jesus comes and touches him and says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. I am the owner of all things. I have conquered death, and therefore I've got the keys. I am completely in control. But I want you to write all this stuff down. I'm going to tell you these things that are going to seven churches and seven angels that are over the churches. So what's very interesting about this is, is it saying that there is a guardian angel that is assigned to every church? Maybe. Or is it referring to a human leader within the church, and he's called the angel? Because, like, the pastor, for example, is the representative of the church. Or the pastor is supposed to be the shepherd and guardian of the church. Don't really know. But it could be an angel. And it could be that every church is assigned a guardian angel of some fashion, and I wouldn't be surprised by that. It's very clear in the scriptures that he assigns guardian angels to people, to children, to Christians. So why not to a church? If Michael the archangel is the patron angel of the nation of Israel, why wouldn't there be one for a church? So it makes sense. I could be wrong, but it makes sense. So he writes a unique letter to each of these seven churches. And what we are going to see here are direct applications for us as well. These things are things that we need to be considering as well in how we walk with the Lord, how we look at ourselves in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. And we need to take inventory. And there's a reoccurring theme that we see Jesus talk about here. For one, I know your deeds. He starts all of his statements with that. To whatever church it is, I know your deeds. Is there any significance to that? Absolutely. He knows your deeds too. He knows everything that you are doing and not doing. And he knows why you do these things. So he knows your intentions. So there is nothing hidden from God. So you can be honest with him, and you can be honest with yourself. Between the two of you, you're the only people that really know the truth. He knows your deeds. And most of the time, he calls these churches to repent, to change direction, to correct something, because they are failing in some way. The church of Ephesus, for example. He says that they're doing very well, except they have left their first love. What does that mean? Look at the way he said that. You have left your first love, which implies an intentional leaving, not an accident. If we recall the church of Ephesus, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and they were commended for their love. They were doing very well in that regard. And so this happened maybe 30 or so years later that John is writing this. And so it's possible that the next generation of Christians 
did not hold the same level of love and devotion as the ancestors did. And so this second generation did not have the same quality as the first. They abandoned it. They were diminished. And so Jesus is pointing out that they left their first love. Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. We may have all been there at one point or another, but we remember having a fire, having a devotion, having a passion for the things of God, and over time we lost it. It diminished. But God wants us to go back to that. What did you do at first that caused you to get to that state? Get back to that. That is what will make you the most successful. Then he issues a threat to the church, or else I will come and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yikes. I will remove the usefulness that you are of a church if you do not fix this unless you repent. You do not want to be in the hands of an angry God. That is not good. But then he gives them some credit. He says that they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So Jesus is, a, is agreeing that whatever the Nicolaitans are doing are worthy of being hated, righteously hated. So what are the Nicolaitans then? The first time we see this mentioned is in Acts chapter 6, where it mentions a, a man named Nicholas, and he has some followers. So according to the early church fathers in the traditional writings, this was a sect of people who advocated license in matters of Christian conduct, including free love, for example. They're not the same thing as the Gnostics. They are just more liberal and more defiant to the things of Christianity. But some historians find meaning in the name of Nicholas, which the meaning of that name was conquering of a people. So perhaps they were some sort of group that was promoted to a clerical hierarchy. And so when I did some research on my own as to what the Nicolaitans were and what they stood for and a lot of the things they practiced, you know what I came to realize? My personal conviction is that I think the Nicolaitans were the first Catholics. In the way they do things, in the way they have a clerical hierarchy, the way that certain rituals and traditions have to be followed in order to be saved, and all these different things that you put them all together, and it looks like the Catholic Church in its infancy. So I wouldn't be surprised if that were the case. If that is true, then, because, in my opinion, the Catholic Church is one of the darkest religions in the world, because it passes as Christianity, but it is demonic in nature. Of course Jesus would hate it, right? Of course he would hate it, because it is everything that is against him. It has the semblance of godliness, but is really satanic under the surface. That is the most vile kind of evil. So I think the Nicolaitans here are the early Catholics. 
If I'm wrong, please debate me on this. I would love to talk about this because this is a very fascinating topic for me. Again, I have no issues with Catholic people. I have issues with the religion itself, with the systems and the structures and the traditions and the contradiction and heresy of Scripture. The second church is the Church of Smyrna, and he talks about how there are Jews that are part of the synagogue of Satan. Yikes. That's some very strong language here. So apparently there were some apostate Jews that were really agents of Satan trying to infiltrate the church. But it does say that the devil is going to be allowed to throw some of them into prison in order to test their faith. And if they are successful in enduring, then Jesus will reward them with the crown of life. And that is something he rewards to all who persevere in his name. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death, verse 11. The second death being hell. You will be spared from hell if you persevere and are saved by Jesus Christ. The third church is Pergamum. And so he talks here about another throne of Satan in their midst. It says that they are following the teaching of Balaam where they are, unfortunately, not doing the right thing. They have that semblance of godliness, but yet they are selling it for profit, or they are causing stumbling blocks to true believers. And they're eating things that are sacrificed to idols, they're committing acts of immorality, just like the Nicolaitans. Ooh, here they are again. So all these different things that look like religion and sacrament but yet are evil under the surface. That's what they were doing. And they are called to repent, or else I will come quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. So he will take action against them if they do not repent. Then he has a message for Thyatira. And the issue here is that there is someone of influence in their midst. It mentions the name Jezebel, but we don't know if her name is actually Jezebel or if they're attributing her to the original Jezebel. It's hard to tell. But this person is doing the exact same things as the original Jezebel was doing, being an adulteress and being manipulative and evil things and being very ungodly. And this church is very much aware of it, and they're not doing anything about it. In fact, they're being influenced by it, and they're doing the things that she's doing. And that's wrong. And so God is going to condemn this woman and condemn those that follow after her. And then he reminds us that in verse 23, he wants all the churches to know that he is the one who searches the heart and mind. God knows all things, and he knows the intentions of our hearts. And I will give each one of you according to your deeds, and he will recompense you for the good and bad things you do. Don't ever forget that. You will not escape without him noticing. You will not escape his anger or his consequences. Just be aware of that. You can't hide from God. Then in verse 24, he says, Those that are not doing wrong things, hold fast to what you have. Stay strong. Rely on the Lord. Then he goes to Sardis. 
Now, it mentions seven spirits, and I really don't know what those are, so so I'm not going to go too much into it, but I think they said the seven spirits are the seven angels, but that's about all I know. Now, this one, he is saying that they are sleeping, that they are not awake. They are being lazy and doing nothing with their faith. So he's telling them to wake up and repent, or else he will come like a thief and you won't know when he's coming. If we were to ask ourselves, would we have any regrets if Jesus came back today? I'm sure we do. So these people did have some issues, and they needed to fix them. What do you think about this? Verse 5, He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. Does that mean that God does that? That he writes your name in the book of life, and then if you're a bad boy, he takes your name out of the book of life? If you're a bad girl and disobedient, he's going to remove you from the book of life? Doesn't that mean God changes his mind? Is that a contradiction? No, it is not. It doesn't say that he's going to add your name and then take it away. He says that he will not take your name out of the book of life. He will not erase it. You can't lose your salvation. Don't forget that. He's telling you he's not going to erase your name from the book of life. If it's in there to begin with. So don't read something that's not there. He's simply saying that if your name is in the book of life, I will not erase it. So don't get too crazy that this is a contradiction of some kind. Then he goes to Philadelphia. This was a city that was about 40 miles southeast of Sardis. So you're talking about in Asia Minor. You're not talking about the one in the United States. Overall, they get praise for the things that they're doing. And he tells them to hold fast to what they have. And he says in verse 12 that, those who overcome, will, he will make them a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of my city, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven, and my new name. I don't know what his new name is, but we'll find out, I'm sure. But this is just showing you that if you persevere in the name of Christ, you will be glorified with him in heaven. And then the final church that we see is Laodicea. And this one we hear a lot in church. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What is he talking about here? Cold and hot. Cold being one end of the spectrum and hot being the other end of the spectrum. You can compare one to be the world, the world of sin, and the other one being the world of God, or the heavenly kingdom, the spiritual truth, right? So he's saying that there are people that like to be both. They have worldly-mindedness, and they have spiritually-mindedness. We've looked at that through many books of the New Testament that talks directly against that. What does Jesus do when someone is lukewarm? Someone is both hot and cold. It says he spits you out of his mouth. Or 
in the old language of King James, he will vomit you out of his mouth. This is not good. This is disgusting. God finds it terrible that you taste like that. He hates that double-mindedness. Your allegiance is with him, and yet your allegiance is also with Satan. So we can't have that. Pick a side, is what he's saying. Pick a side, and you pick the right side. I've advised you to get gold refined by fire so that you may become rich. The word of God, the wisdom of the word of God. Do all these different things because I want you to not be double-minded. And then he reminds us that if he loves us, if we are his children, he will reprove and discipline us. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That is what the church needs to be, zealous and repentant. And then we have this here in verse 20. Let's not confuse this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Let me be clear. This is not a salvation verse. This is how he deals with believers. Okay, let's be clear about that. It's incredible, really, that Christ would be kept outside his own church. I mean, that's sad, isn't it? He is the one who established the church, and yet there are some churches that completely disregard him, that completely abandon him altogether in pursuit of their lusts. So he stands at the door and he knocks. How gracious that he still would want to go in at that point. He still seeks entrance. He wants you to let him in. So what he's talking about here is he's talking to believers who have compromised the word of God, the ones that have strayed from the path, the ones that have become worldly-minded. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. But what he wants is for you to open the door for him and to fully fellowship with Christ. He wants that. So he's asking us to do that. And lastly, we have some very wonderful things to look at here in chapter 4. John seems to see God on the throne, which is amazing. And then there's 24 elders. Now, we don't really know who they are. They're either angels or they're special humans throughout the biblical history. We don't really know. It doesn't say. But it does say that they have some sort of crown and that they have a throne and that they're glorified in some way. Then it says that there were four living creatures full of eyes, and they had different characteristics. Do these sound familiar to you? These are cherubs. These are cherubim. They were described in the same detail by Ezekiel. He saw them as well, and this is the exact same creatures. So they have eyes all around them. They must be really freaky looking because they've got different faces they got four different heads with four different faces on them. they got six wings. They have eyes all over their body. And yet they speak nothing but wonder of who God is. I love this verse so much. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, 
who was and who is and who is to come. Anytime in these ancient writings that you have a word repeated next to each other, it intensifies the meaning and understanding of it. It's like when Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you. He is showing you that this is doubly true. In the literal language, it's amen, amen. This is the truth, this is the truth, and this is what I'm telling you. So he's showing you it is perfect truth. When he would address somebody, or they did in the Old Testament as well, they addressed somebody's name twice. Samuel, Samuel. Martha, Martha. Why did he do it like that? That's showing intimacy, showing a connection, that you're not just a person to them, you are someone of significance to them. But now you have this, where you have us being holy in the sight of God, because we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But he is thrice holy. He is at a whole level of existence and a whole level of holiness that is beyond our ability to even understand. He is in a class of his own. He is elevated to a level that no one else can reach, and that is done intentionally. And while those four beings are singing this, then those 24 elders are bowing before the Lord, casting down their crowns. There's a lot of songs we sing in church about casting down their crowns. There's even a band called Casting Crowns. Well, this is where you get this from. And they are spending their time in eternity praising and worshiping God. I don't think that's the only thing we're ever going to do, but I think that's going to be a majority of what we do. And we're not going to be tired of doing it. Heaven is going to be a completely different place than we understand. It'll be familiar, but it'll be different. And we won't be feeling like it's a burden to worship God, because it's not about us. Let's just be happy we're able to go to heaven at all. He didn't have to do that, but he wanted to. Praise be to him for that. I think this is a good place to stop for today, so we're going to do that. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.